Father, we thank you for the day you've given us. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity to just be here and learn more about you. We thank you for Bob and the study that he puts in uh, to bring the word to us. Father, we also ask that you bless the food that uh, we're about to get to the nourishment of our bodies and us to your service always. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I'll tell you what we've been doing, Greg. Uh, we've been just taking a book of the Bible quite a few years and just kind of go through it. But uh, uh, starting, I guess, a couple, three weeks ago, there was just some subject that I wanted to, to address, to study kind of uh, important subject. Uh, and uh, the first one we looked at was this issue of uh, the all that's uh, really come out of the sexual revolution. Uh, having to do with homosexuality, gay marriage, the trans movement, and uh, the, the biblical pr perspective on the human body and uh, and, the, and our identity as male and female. So we, we did that one. Then I come, came down with a COVID. We, we, maybe, is this my second Friday I missed? You missed two Fridays. Yeah. I probably could have come last Friday, but I thought probably better to kind of keep myself isolated. And today, uh, if you, uh, do you have a phone with you? I do. Um, um, I'd have to see if I could send this to you again. Do you all here, have it on? I've got here. Let, let him you have it. You have a printed copy? Yeah, that's a printed copy there. Let, he, yeah. He can use that one, Bob, and I'll just pull it up on the yeah. well, email. I probably still have it here. I'll, I'll some notes. Um, talking about Christianity and politics. Mm -hmm. Very much in, in the news. Yes. <laughs> or, or politics, as anyway. And and uh, the role of the, ch uh, the Christian are in, and are the church um, in relationship to... Uh, the, uh, the government and to, and to political activities. So, uh, uh, kind of looking at these questions, is America a Christian nation and how much should the church and its leaders say about politics? How closely should our laws follow the Bible? What is a Christian's political responsibility? Here's our way. We're back. So, uh, I just, uh, I, first point here is just kind of listed different forms of government. We sometimes forget, you know, that government can really take many, many different forms, and, and the form of government we live under is not the only one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in fact, it's really kind of an unusual form of government, yeah, really. um, particularly, uh, uh, or even today, but particularly compared to uh, when our country was founded, of course, <coughs> what an absolute monarchy is, where the where the king he he makes the rules, uh, he executes the rules, and he judges whether you've uh, broken the rules or not. <laughs> he he does all three functions of government. Uh, that's an absolute monarchy. Uh, and the constitutional monarchy is one, you know, like they have in, in Great Britain, where the, the, the king really, his, his power is considerably less 
it's really up to some kind of parliament that in, in the country where there's a constitution that limits his uh, rights and duties. They still argue a lot. What? They still argue a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, then democracy, uh, the word democracy means the rule of the people. And a, a pure democracy is where everything is voted on by all the people. You know, you don't you don't have a laws passed by Congress. If a law is passed, everybody has to vote on it. That's a pure democracy, yeah. which of course we don't have. No. <clears throat> the uh, <clears throat> what we have is is a democratic republic where people do elect the representatives, but we do have uh, uh, the people rule in the sense that it's up to them to decide. Who, are, who we want as our president, who we, who we want as our congressman. Um, and, and to some degree, we even elect our judges at local levels, right? We don't elect judges at federal level. <clears throat> An aristocracy is a place where uh, you have a, a few uh, hereditary titles, people who are upper cl uh, class uh, have these titles rule because it's kind of passed down from one generation to the next. Usually that's connected with a monarchy. Um, an oligarchy is similar to an aristocracy where you have a few people, usually very very wealthy class, who've come into power and they're really in charge of what's going on. And then, of course, uh, we invented communism, didn't we, in the 20th century, <laughs> early 20th century. <clears throat> where, where the state um, takes over in all of the, the, the means of production, uh, controls the economy, um, and, a very, and the state, the, the, the one, it's one party, uh, and uh, you don't really have any opposition. When you have an election, you can vote yes or no. <laughs> you want this person in office, but that's, <laughs> you don't get a choice. <laughs> For who you want, and then <clears throat> then there's theocracy. What is <clears throat> that's a government, a government by God. But <clears throat> of course, God would rule through a designated representative, through some kind of priest or some kind of hierarchy. And today we have. We have I would say Iran is really a theocracy. They, they have a, elected rulers, but there is this uh, a, a guy at the head, what do they call him? The, uh, Ayatollah. Yeah, the Ayatollah. And everything really has to be approved by him. If he doesn't approve it, it doesn't, it doesn't fly. Uh, and basically, of course, he's ruling according to the laws of, uh, of Islam and according to the Quran. Supposedly, you know, the, the very word of God, this is the way, the Sharia law, it's based upon the Quran, which is based upon God's revelation. Uh, so it's supposed to be directly what God says has to be. Uh, and there's no differentiation between the government and the, and, or the, uh, and the religion. <clears throat> the government is really under the religious authority. Uh, 
And in that sense, of course, our government has never been under any kind of religious authority. In fact, the Constitution says that no religious test can be made of a, of a, of a ruler. Uh, you, can't, uh, you can't forbid uh, a Buddhist or a Muslim or an atheist from, from uh, being elected president, right? Yeah, there's no religious test permitted. You remember okay. back when uh, when Kennedy was running for president? He was a Catholic. Yeah. Oh, he was yeah. Catholic. Yeah. And, uh, what an uproar! What an uproar! United States. I remember that. And it looked like, you know, the, what an uproar! If we if we elected a Catholic, we'd probably be having a theocracy where yeah. where the Pope would really be in charge. <laughs> yeah. Right. Pope told me. Actually, uh, we we might. Be, have been a lot better off if the Pope were running things. <laughs> <laughs> Almost anybody. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, but, but uh, uh, let's look at what the Bible says about government uh, today. Uh, uh, if you look at the Old Testament, of course, Israel was a kind of theocracy, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Uh, if you look at the, found, at the founding of Israel, uh, the, uh, God gave his law at Mount Sinai, but he gave it, of course, through Moses, didn't it? Moses came down from the mountain with the, uh, ten, um, with the Ten Commandments and the laws of God, and um, uh, and the people were to listen to them, but, of course, those laws were were uh, delivered through Moses from God who revealed them. And they were, uh, that was how they were ruled. Uh, um, the, um, I, don't, I didn't list the passages here, but you remember as time went on, Moses uh, found a need to kind of organize it a little bit, you know, because he couldn't handle every single dispute that came up. But still, uh, whatever, uh, whatever that was, was to be resolved according to the laws of God, right? Right. So that was really a theocracy ruled by God. But then uh, the people said they specifically wanted a king. Um, and um, um, you, you remember the story, I've got it in First Samuel chapter 8, 1 through 9. Uh, are you familiar with that story about how they wanted a king? And uh, God was not happy with that, or Samuel. <clears throat> and and uh, this was during the days of Samuel, uh, which was towards the end of the days of, of the various judges, where different men would arise who would uh, do, uh, deliver God's people. They were more like uh, a people who delivered them in times of oppression. And, and, and in fact, it was, it was a good bit of chaos for those first few hundred years. I think the book of Judges 8 says every man did what was right in his own eyes. <laughs> it was this kind of anarchy. <clears throat> but <clears throat> God told, um, if you look at 1 Samuel chapter 8, Bob, are these mine to keep? Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. I like to ride on things. Okay. Right away. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so we have a Bob, Bob, Mike, and uh, Larry. 
don't forget Graham. Uh, <laughs> and Chuck's over. And Chuck's in. He does the First cam. Kings chapter 8, verses uh, 1 through 3. Um, uh, Mike, read verses, the first three verses there. When it came about when Samuel was old that he appointed his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, the second was Abijah, they, they were judging in Beersheba. His sons, however, did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after dishonest gain and took bribes and perjured justice. Okay. So, <laughs> we've seen that happen before with... We've <laughs> seen that happen since. <laughs> Um, people get in office and just use it to uh, pad their own pockets. And, and in a way, if you look at, at verse 4, um, all the elders gathered together came to Samuel, Samuel and they said, you're old and your sons do not walk in your ways. You know, you were, you were a good uh, uh, ruler, but uh, these, these boys of yours are pretty corrupt and we, we'd like um, for you to appoint a king such as the other nations have. It's kind of like they wanted to imitate the nations. And, um, uh, you know, I, you can kind of sympathize with them, can't you? Since the, the, these uh, boys that sent his own sons were so corrupt <coughs> that they wanted to change. <coughs> but uh, it says this... Uh, this didn't, this didn't please Samuel, verse 6. Uh, but then verse 7, the Lord says, well, you go ahead and do it. It's not you they've rejected. Uh, in some sense, he says, they really, they really don't want me to rule. They uh, just want to be like the nations around them. Uh, and... Um, in verse 11, Samuel warned them, though, if you, if you have a king who makes all the rules and makes all the decisions, an absolute monarchy, this is what you're going to deal with. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And the other one. Thank you. <coughs> Those are ours, I take it. They're probably here. <coughs> oh, yeah, one of these. Thank you. What one of these? Brown sugar? Yeah. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I got more. I got more brown sugar. Okay. I thought you needed it on the coffee. Okay. That's fresh, I'll take it. Thank you. No, I got enough. While y'all are eating, I'll, I'll read through this here. This is this is what's going to happen. He says, <clears throat> He'll take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses. And they will run in front of his chariots. And some he will assign to be commanders of thousands, fifties, and others. He'll assign others to plow the ground and reap his harvest. Others to make his weapons of war and equip his chariots. He'll take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks. He'll take the best of your fields. He'll take the best of your fields and your olive groves. He'll give that to his attendants. He'll take a tenth of your grain. He's going to tax you. 
says here he'll he's take a tenth. Uh, well, uh, he could have said he'll take a tenth or more, wouldn't he? <laughs> mm -hmm. He'll take your, the, the best of your cattle and your donkeys for his own use, tenth of your flocks, and then you yourselves will become his slaves. Basically, you're, you're, you're setting yourself up just to be slaves of this one man. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and he says, uh, and then you're going to cry out for relief. <laughs> You're going to pray to God, have mercy on us. Give. But he says, uh, uh, that's, that's what you're going to choose. The Lord's not going to answer you. Mm -hmm. However, in the book of uh, later, when uh, Saul was, was elected the first king, but uh, he was rejected. And Samuel's told to go to the family of, of the house of Jesse and select another king that God, that God would select. And um, he chose David, you know, who's the youngest of all the sons of Jesse. Uh, and uh, and with, with uh, David, he made a special covenant that since then, then the king become God's designated representative, known as, as God's own son. His own special anointed one, the one that God anoints with His Spirit, <clears throat> so that the King then rules under the direction of God and by the will of God, and, is, and of course is supposed to, to fulfill God's will uh, in uh, in this ruling over the people, and that's recorded in Second Samuel seven where God promises that David's uh, lineage, uh, his descendants, will always rule over the house of Israel. <clears throat> and, uh, and out of that promise, uh, you know, the New Testament, of course, uh, makes much of the fact that Jesus is a descendant of David and is the legitimate heir of the throne of David and is... Uh, known as God's anointed one, which means anointed means Messiah. Uh, thank you. You want more? No. no. I'm fine. You good? I'm good. And let me give him some. If I can do it. Oh, no. Because then I, I'm not left him. I'm going to burn you. <laughs> thank you, beauty. Good? But uh, it was obvious, of course, that these, these earthly kings were not infallible. And they often uh, went astray, um, but uh, and and then God, they would be rebuked over and over again by the prophets. Uh, <clears throat> the uh, <clears throat> and I have just I picked out a few verses here. Amos uh, warns the kings of Israel, chapter 2 and verse 6, uh, this is what the Lord says, for three sins of Israel, even for four I will not turn back. They sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, and they trample on the heads of the poor. Uh, he was specifically rebuking the, the king of Israel, the northern kingdom, 
um, who, who didn't appreciate his his prophecy. Told, he told him to go back south, go back and uh, preach preach to somebody else. He didn't like being rebuked. Uh, and uh, one of the most uh, there's this, uh, the story about David and Bathsheba, of course, where David, uh, of course, committed his terrible sin, uh, which was, uh, his sin was not only adultery, it was a kind of a, it was really a kind of rape, if you think about it. When David called for Bathsheba to come over to his place, does she have a choice? Is this a man who's seducing another man's wife? No. This is not a seduction where he woos her and goes to bed with her. He, he, he sends for her. She's the king. What does she do? She goes. Right? So it's not just simple adultery. It is adultery, but it's a, it's a much more grievous kind of adultery because of the, of the power differential that he had over her. It was, a, it was an abusive kind of adultery. And then, of course, you know, what he did to cover up his sin by having a husband uh, sent out to the front lines and uh, killed the battle, basically murdered his husband. So... David is obviously in violation of at least two of the three of the commandments. So it isn't it? The first one about coveting another man's wife uh, is in violation of the commandment uh, not, not to commit adultery and the violation of the commandment not to commit murder. But now in, in the ancient Near East, where you have these monarchies, absolute monarchies, you do not have records, people keeping records of, of these offenses of the king and of the king being rebuked. Do you realize how much? What a, what a unique thing it was that the script, these records would be recorded of David being called to account by the prophet Nathan and his sins being laid out in the record for all to see, for posterity, for all of posterity. If you look at the stories of all the ancient kings, you, all you do is read about their exploits, all the great things they did. <laughs> you, you don't read about their corruption. To me, if there's one sign of the inspiration of, of the scriptures, the, the whole, it's only the Holy Spirit could have caused these records to be maintained. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> uh, but <clears throat> the, uh, the, the king is uh, now God's Messiah, and he is the first to rule according to God's will and purpose. But uh, uh, of course, all the kings fail, but, of course, and with the coming of Jesus, we have a son who does 
who submits perfectly to the will of God, right? And so becomes the Messiah for all time and all places, once for all. Now, uh, so what ultimately, of course, the Christians hold is for a theocracy. We're, we're looking for the kingdom of God in which Jesus Christ's rule is absolute. Right? Whatever. We don't have an election anymore. <laughs> and there's no more debate about what kind of laws we should have. Who decides? Jesus is Lord. You ever think about that? that that's our hope. We're looking forward to an absolute theocracy under the rule of Jesus, our Messiah, our, our anointed one, our King. That's the kind of government we want. So, the government we live under is not an ideal government. The ideal government is the government where Jesus is the absolute monarch. That's the ideal government for a Christian. No, we don't often say it that way, do we? Um, as far as earthly governments go, governments not specifically ordained by God, we believe this is the best. I guess we do, <laughs> compared to, to these other forms here, right? But but if we had our choice, we'd say we want an absolute monarchy under Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, that's what we really would like. Uh, uh, now, the question is, did Jesus... Uh, did he really come expecting to establish a kingdom whereby he would be the king and rule like an absolute monarchy? If he did, then of course he sets himself in opposition to the, to the earthly government, which was then in place, right? The Roman government. What was Jesus' relationship to the Roman government? Uh, well, there are several texts um, that we can look at. We, could, we need to spend a little time looking at these. Uh, I suggested you be, to understand Jesus' relationship with the go Roman government, you have to look at Matthew chapter 2 to begin with. And what, what's the story of Matthew chapter 2? They tried to kill him. What? They tried to kill him. It's the story of the uh, wise man, the, mag the Magi, visiting the baby Jesus, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And, of course, the fact that uh, uh, they first came and, uh, and looked for directions from King Herod, uh, who was the king, and asked him about uh, where uh, this, uh, their... Uh, the, uh, the king of the, of the Jews was to be born. And uh, 
and the Herod, and of course the, the teachers of the law knew that the prophecy of Micah, that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, and they said they imagined of Bethlehem. And uh, Herod wanted to know where they were, but they were warned and they went back to him. And they didn't go back to tell Herod. But uh, Herod was really, really upset by this, wasn't he? In other words, the very fact that, that um, he heard that a king, a new king, was to be born, he took that personally as a threat to himself, didn't he? Now, here's a, here's a question I want to ask you. Was, was, he, um, was he right or wrong to consider that a threat? Jesus wasn't going to impose taxes. What? Jesus wasn't going to impose taxes. Was the birth of Jesus a threat to his power? It wasn't really, but he didn't know that. That's what, he didn't know that. He thought it was, but it, it he wasn't He thought really. it was. Yeah. Well, so he was mistaken. The birth of Jesus was no threat to Herod. Is that true? Yeah, to him, a king was king was king. They're all the same. So he's going to be like, he's going to be like me. So he's going to... So he thought it was a threat. So Jesus wouldn't be a threat to Herod. On the surface, no. So he was mistaken. <laughs> but he looked at it through the eyes of an earthly king who controlled the people and the riches. So if another king was being born, that, that was a threat to his earthly rule. So in that respect, yes, I think he did. So he, Jesus would not be any threat to um, Herod. No, he would be. He would? Yeah, I think. So he was right. He, yeah, he, I think so. Jesus would be a threat to Herod. When, he came. when <clears throat> What's going to happen to the governments of the world when Jesus rules? Are they going to compete with him, or are they going to be completely displaced? Well, when he comes back, they're going to be displaced. They're going to be displaced, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, so, when you talk about earthly rule, what, what do you mean? You mean a rule based on the wisdom of men, or do you mean a rule over the earth. What, what do you mean by earthly rule? Power and money. You're talking about a kind of uh, uh, rule based upon human instincts and fallen and corrupt rule. All of our earthly earthly kingdoms are deficient. None are perfect, are they? Even under the even ours is not perfect. Uh, but uh, a, there is a sense in which, if you say Jesus is not an earthly king, does he just rule in the in the heavens over the angels, or is he supposed to rule over the whole earth? Both. I think it's clear in the Bible. It's both. So, so, 
what I'm asking, what I'm asking to consider is whether we need to. Is it, is it wise to say he's not going to be an earthly king? If he's going to rule the whole earth, in a sense, he will be an earthly king, but not in a sense of a of a sinful, corrupt king. Let's look at, see what else happens here. If you look at Mark, uh, Mark chapter 1, when Jesus began his ministry, uh, verses 14 and 15. What does that say, uh, Larry? All right. Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Gal Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. Okay. So, <clears throat> this, is, this is a summary of, of Jesus' message, isn't it? And he says, It's time to repent. Why should you repent? The time has come. The time for what? Time for what? Time for, believer. for the, the, the kingdom. The kingdom is near. In other words, so he's going to be the, the God's absolute kingdom. Yeah, the, theocracy. This is the the kingdom of God. That's another word for theocracy, isn't it? God is about to take over, and you need to repent because you're going to be answerable to God. Uh, so that was that's the the message of Jesus, wasn't it? that God is about to take over. And that's good news, isn't it? Um, unless you're, unless you want to continue in rebellion. <laughs> you know, if you want to continue to rebel, that's not good, good news. But it is good news to know that God will be in charge. Not, not human rulers who rule according to their, their own will and their own selfish, corrupt desires. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 2 is another significant passage. Twelve, one and 2? Yeah, read, read that one, Mark. Uh, Bob, have you got that? Yeah. At that time, Jesus went through the green fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began no. to fix. <laughs> I got the wrong one through twelve. Well, yeah, no, no, the whole, yeah, the whole. You read that whole thing. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Starting at one. Again? Yeah. Okay. At that time, Jesus went through the green fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, 
your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Continue. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of wait, God. Wait a minute, are you in chapter 12? Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> You're in Mark. You're in Mark. We're in Matthew. <clears throat> this is Mark. Mark chapter 12. Oh, okay. Okay, we'll start over there. Yeah, let's start over. <laughs> I wondered where that was going. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to repent. <laughs> okay, now we're going to start with the parable of the tenants. Yeah. Okay. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. Harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty handed. Then he sent another servant to them. He struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, the son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. All right. Now, um, what does this have to do with the subject of Jesus' relationship to uh, the Roman government and to the powers? Well, the, this is a parable that really talks about God sending a prophet and uh, the people rejecting them and killing them and everything else. And finally, he sends his own son, and they do the same to him. You know, so it's really a, a story. That, and what uh, does the vineyard represent? Yeah. What is this vineyard? Is this? Is he just talking about a vineyard where there's the issue is is uh, uh, who gets the who gets the grapes? Does the vineyard does it represent something more than just a vineyard? What what, what is it that these uh, tenants want want to take have power over? What is it that the son has come to take power and to be in charge of? It's the whole world. It's the whole world. Yeah. 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 I never, I never connected those dots. That's what this parable is. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. That 
the the rulers of this world, you see, have rejected God's prophets. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And the, and but then God sends his Jesus is saying then he sends his own son. Surely they'll listen to him. Right. Nope. You know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nope. But no, they take him and kill him, and then they say, then everything belongs to us. We get rid of him. If Herod, Herod says, you know, if I can get rid of this king that's born, you know, then I don't have anything to worry about. I'm totally in charge. Uh, and they, they understood that it was a parable against them. Uh, the... Um, The, uh, in fact, the, <clears throat> if you look at the beginning, he, he began in verse 12 and verse 1, he began to speak to them. Them. Now, I, I think you, you instead of just the word them, what did you have? Uh, My, mine was them. Just them. Okay. Well, who is yeah. them? What, what, what's Larry say? The, the kingdom? It's the tenants. Tenants would be them. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, he just says he'd be able to speak to them. Who right. is them? I think it's the tenants. <clears throat> okay. The well, but if you look back at the, if you look back at the uh, just before that, <coughs> what has happened just before that? Verses 27 of, of chapter 11. Verses 27 through the end of the chapter. Oh. <clears throat> Jesus prescribed. They've been, they, uh, <clears throat> the chief priest and the teachers of the law, the elders, the authorities, the Jewish authorities come to him and they, they are concerned about authority. It's a question about authority. By whose authority are you doing these things? Right. What kind of authority do you have? What kind of authority are you exercising? That's the question they're they're posing to him, aren't they? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and uh, and of course Jesus deflects it, doesn't he? At this point, well, he says, "Well, I'll tell you. Um, uh, let me ask you a question. You answer this question. I'll answer <laughs> yours. By whose authority did John the Baptist?" That's the old Texas two-step. <laughs> it is true that Jesus is, he doesn't come with a, it, it's, if you compare it like to announcing himself, I'm running for president, I'm running for king of, of Judea and all the world. He didn't come making that announcement, did he? And and uh, and uh, going on TV and starting a campaign to raise money to be, to become the new king. He didn't do that at all, did he? And in fact, he uh, and you have this thing where he's in the Gospel of Mark, particularly. He says to those who are trying to tell that they the the uh, that he was the Messiah to keep quiet about it. You remember that? Mm -hmm. So. Jesus tries to tamp down this, and yet at the same time, you see, even though he doesn't answer the question about authority, 
he, he refuses to answer it, doesn't he? The end of the chapter, he says, I'm not going to tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. I'm not going to tell you. Well, do you, but do you have any idea by whose authority he was doing them? Upon whose authority was Jesus acting? God. God. Yeah, we believe that, yeah. don't we? Yeah. <laughs> he, he didn't come right out and say it. Right. Did he? Yeah. And then, and then he began to speak to them in this parable. Let me tell you guys a story. I'm not going to answer your question here about whose authority I'm, I'm exercising. But let me tell you a story. Well, he was the first politician. And then they answered a question. And then he question. says at the end, yeah. then they understood who he's talking about. <laughs> he's, he doesn't come right out and say, I'm acting on the authority of God. But then they understood that he was saying, when you oppose me, you know, when you oppose me, you're opposing God's own personal son, own son, who has been sent to do what I'm doing. If you if you put all of those that text together, uh, it really begins to show you about what Jesus thinks about his own authority, doesn't it? And the fact <coughs> that the rulers, the chief priests, felt threatened. They felt threatened. Oh yeah. <clears throat> they knew he's talking about them. <clears throat> um, and then, and then we have the very next passage in verses thirteen through seventeen. Is this passage about? Uh, uh, paying taxes, didn't they? So, so this this whole section of the Gospel of Mark has to do with uh, governmental authority, <clears throat> and so they're they're saying maybe we can catch Jesus. Maybe we can, if we can get him to come right out and say, you know. No, the government of Rome has no legitimacy. You should not pay taxes. If we if we can get him to come right out and say this, then of course Rome is going to take care of right. it. Right. <laughs> we don't have to worry about it. <laughs> but uh, again, you know, how does he answer this question about should we pay taxes? You have to see he doesn't. It was on the coin. <laughs> You're talking. Jesus is really pretty slick here. He says, well, well, just give me a coin here. <laughs> well, it's got Caesar's image on it, doesn't it? He says, well, I guess that belongs to Caesar, doesn't it? Well, give to Caesar what belongs to him, but give to God what belongs to him. Well, so uh, then the question is, though, but what belongs to God? You give this money to Caesar, but then well, what belongs to God? What does belong to God? The first fruit. Everything. Huh? Everything. Everything. Yeah. Really. <laughs> so he, he is really kind of deflecting this, isn't he? But in the end, you know, 
He doesn't deny that he has that he's coming with the authority of God, and this vineyard, which represents the world, really belongs to him. He's the rightful heir. We believe he is the heir, don't right. we? Right. That this world, but the world and all that is it belongs to God who created it, and who is the heir? His own son. So, well, um, our time is up. Let, um, this is probably worth pursuing or continuing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's good. 